We talked about some in the previous episode. We're back again with 20 plus job mm-hmm. titles to share with you with a little bit of a commentary about where these positions are working and maybe some of the things that they focus on. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health, from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Okay, so the biggest one I would say, and this is reflected in the diversity of public health job titles in this bucket is planning or planners and this group of professionals focus their efforts on looking at the evidence or generating knowledge and evidence and determining where public health should place their efforts and how so what titles job titles fit within this domain LaShawn so When we're talking about more planning-based jobs, we're talking about health promoters. And we have one of the most forefront thought leaders in health promotion with us right now. So I'll lean over and ask him, Gordon, what does a health promoter do? (laughs) I don't think a health promoter knows what they do, man. Yeah, health health promotion is a very interesting field. Health promoters, I would say, do everything. So you're looking at a good way to understand the scope of the role is by listening to our podcast episode called What Health Promoters Do. That came out maybe a year ago. And understanding the Ottawa Charter for Health Promotion. It outlines sort of five different areas in which informs good health promotion practice. And there's also health promotion competencies you could familiarize yourself with. But in general, health promoters are looking at the research, maybe conducting research themselves to understand the needs of a specific community. Health promoters are also then looking at evidence-based interventions and practices that can be implemented. Health promotions are also involved in advocacy for systems-level change or policy-level change to address the social determinants of health. Health promoters are also involved in community development and partnerships, working with different agencies and different stakeholders like the government, for example, hospitals, to establish systems to bridge the gaps that currently exist. And then health health promoters are also involved in reorienting those health services and reducing duplication of services as well to make sure that resources that are available are used in the most efficient way. And as part of your day-to-day role, you're involved in heavily knowledge translation, communication, so writing skills and written and verbal communication skills are extremely important. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's what health promoters do. Yeah, and thinking of some of these other job titles we have on the list here, health planner, health advisor, policy advisor, policy analyst, 
a lot of that requires communication, writing in their own areas, right? So when we're talking about、mm. policy analysts or policy consultants, for example, we're talking about individuals who look into the public health literature, the health literature, understand the evidence base, and provide evidence based recommendations and trying to make those recommendations into policies by understanding the past landscape, the current landscape, and the future landscape. So It involves a lot of writing. It involves a lot of critical thinking because if you're at an organization and you're trying to implement policy for the greater society, there are multiple levels that you have to be thinking at the individual, the community, organizational,、um, mm-hmm. the provincial, the municipal level, and how those interact in domains, whether it, it's politics, how those intersect and affect those policies. And the key thing here is having a Solid understanding about the current policies related to the policy that you're trying to implement.、Mm. Yeah, policies and regulations. So here's the thing though I'm glad you touched on the different levels of government, for example, that a policy based expertise would be able to contribute to. This is one where in public health, policy advisors or anything. Related to that, you can work anywhere. So, federal government, Health Canada, Public Health Agency of Canada, you can work at the level of the provincial government,、uh, Ontario government, Alberta Health Services, you can take your pick. You can go all the way down to the, after that, the municipal level. So, cities pretty much always have policy advisors. Who provide them with recommendations to cities whenever they're moving forward with any bigger picture strategy. And then you also have advocacy based organizations who are not, who are, you could class them as an NGO, but they are heavily involved in working with the government to provide policy recommendations and advocating on behalf of the specific health cause that they're, they're established to address. So they, in that sense, you're making policy recommendations to the government. If you work in the government itself, you, you can also be involved in soliciting policy recommendations from local groups as well. And then you might also be responsible for implementing them. So just、mm-hmm. know that if you're in the go- at the governmental level, you're, what you're doing might look a little bit different from if you're in advocacy based organizations that sort of is involved in putting things out there, but not necessarily responsible for implementing them at the governmental level. Mm-hmm, exactly. Going through the list, we have program evaluator, evaluation specialist, which arguably can go in the data and statistics bucket, but in this sense, they're really supporting whether it's a service or program, understanding the data, understanding the numbers behind the program you're running, whether it's qualitative or quantitative data. They play a huge role in supporting the ongoing efforts to ensure that the program is running effectively. Improvements to the program, what's going right, what's going wrong, and generally speaking, making sure that everything is in line with the evidence base so that you're actually providing evidence based care to your population. Going forward on that, we're talking about research analysts, research and implementation coordinators, quality improvement specialists, or coordinators. What is an implementation coordinator, Gordon? Everyone likes talking about implementation,、yeah. implementation. 
But what does that actually entail? You have all this research, you have all these programs, policies. What is implementation? I don't think I'm able to answer that question as well as you. I know you've written papers on implementation research and implementation science, but I'll start us off and then you can fill in the blank. This is a bit of a tailored approach to addressing an issue. And what I mean by that is you've identified an issue in the community, you've identified potential solutions that might work, and the bridge between those things is understanding the nuanced context in which something will be implemented. And something can fail, not because the evidence wasn't sound, but you might have failed to understand the complexities of the setting in which you're about to implement an intervention. And that's where an implementation expertise comes into play. And with that said, LaShawn will fill, in, fill us in with the principles of implementation science and research. I don't know if I could do all that in this quick podcast oh. episode, but generally speaking, oh. the way I look at it is when you're an implementation expert or a coordinator, you're actually helping with a program or a service and actually doing the work so that it actually gets used by the end user, whether it's mm. people in the community, consumers, etc. So what it actually entails is understanding the different factors that enable successful delivery of that program or service or what blocks that from happening. So understanding the organization's barriers and facilitators. So for example, if you're an organization that's supporting other organizations in implementing a program, how are you gonna do that effectively? Are you going to talk about practical things like you know scheduling? Do they have enough resources? What is the cost of having this program at an organization? Who are the people the organization serve? Is there a match in terms of what the program was designed for versus what they actually want to do with this specific program? You have to understand these factors because you could have, like Gordon said, the best program in the world, but it doesn't make sense if you don't know how to implement that properly. So understanding factors around that aspect of implementation is important. Mm -hmm. And I would say for people who are who gravitate towards problem solving, LaShawn, I think that's mm -hmm. a good space to be in implementation. Yeah, because inevitably at different organizations, they have different problems, whether it's a resource constraint, whether it's a policy constraint, whether maybe their clients don't fit the bill in terms of what the program is designed to help with. For example, if the program is designed for as a, a prevention program targeted at age 12 to 18, but all your clients at the organization are 18 plus, is that a good fit? Is that in line with the evidence base? Well, probably not, right? So you want to think of these different factors. And also think about if you're implementing this in an organization, do you actually have enough capacity? It's nice to always say, I'm going to do this program, that program, this program, that program, and offer every single program imaginable. But what does that look like in practice? People's schedules are already full. So employee schedules are already full. If you're a health promoter, you have so much things you're doing. Are you able to take on another program or initiative? So these are things you need to think of when it comes to implementation. Because if you say you're going to do all this, but then you don't have the actual capacity, it leads to the program or service not being fully implemented properly and delivered properly, and there's gaps, which causes mm. problems. And mm. really, 
affects the quality of the program. Mm. Right on. Some other ones that you have that are vastly different from the implementation roles that we just talked about, though you might be able to apply those skills, are wellness coordinator and education coordinator. And I just want to highlight these two for a minute. Typically, wellness coordinators are internally focused. And what I mean by that is you might serve in this role an organization like first responders, for example. And we know that first responders are disproportionately experience poor mental health outcomes from their occupation being a traumatic environment. So a wellness coordinator might be responsible for implementing programs to advance the wellness of that particular workforce. So it's not, so you're not developing interventions for the external community, but specifically for that organization itself, right? Education coordinators are, can be quite similar You tend to find them in different organizations where you might have clinicians or different professional practice systems going on and educational coordinators are responsible for everybody are ensuring that all the employees at that organization or department are up to date on current best practices for their work and they're responsible for implementing any educational programs to advance that goal. So it's not necessarily external facing in that you're serving a population from a health equity perspective, but you're supporting the people that do that work. So that's a very important distinction. And that's something that if you work in public health for a period of time, you might develop a liking for one or the other. Some people like to be more frontline and that they help directly help people who are in need. And some people might be more interested in the capacity building of the frontline staff and workers that actually do that work. Absolutely. And the last three we have here are decision support specialist, health program development specialist or coordinator, injury prevention associate. But I really want to skip over to the next bucket because that's my favorite bucket because I think that's where myself and Gordon actually fall. So projects and programs. So I'm just going to read the list first and then we're going to debrief about this. So we have stakeholder engagement coordinator, project coordinator, project lead, program lead, project manager, project consultant, program specialist, program coordinator, and prevention coordinator. Gordon, if you were to sum up all of these different job titles, what are some core features? Mm -hmm. The core features of project or program-related public health jobs is that you're dealing with a highly evolving and complex and dynamic environment and you're responsible for putting all the pieces together. And what I mean in this case is it usually starts with, at the program level, a set of goals to accomplish a particular objective or at the project level, which tends to be a little bit more narrow in focus. And... As a project lead, a project coordinator, program lead, program coordinator, you're responsible for helping get something from point A to point B. And the in-between is where your skill sets really start to show. Yeah, exactly. And 
another way to put it, you're talking about going from A to B. What does that actually entail? So hmm. usually some of those tasks would fall in the following bucket. So are we talking about initiating the project? So all the information that goes into actually starting the project and getting the approvals from your managers and leaders of that organization. We're talking about planning. So planning the different elements of that program or service that we're talking about here, whether it's youth mental health, whether it's smoking cessation, whether it's sun safety initiatives, we're talking about planning and gathering information on the costs of this program or service, the scope of the program or service, timeline of yeah. the project or service, the risks involved, the stakeholders involved, the resources. procurement aspects of it. So what kind of resources do you need? The communication requirements. Understanding these things during the planning phase is very important and will set your project ahead in terms of knowing what to expect. There's another part of this of how do you actually implement or execute this project or program? So we got into things earlier about implementation. How does that look? What are the considerations for that? And then there's that other aspect that also overlays with the data and statistics and epidemiology stuff that we were talking about. How do you monitor and control these projects and programs that you're overseeing? And then finally, you get to that point B that Gordon was talking about, closing that project. What kind of sign-offs do you need? What kind of final signatures do you require to end the project in a meaningful way? The lessons learned from that project. How are you going to get that information, that detail, and use it to the next project? Or how are you going to get that information, that data that you have obtained from this initiative, and how are you going to disseminate that in the community for a lot of learning? Absolutely. Making sure that the work gets done on time, within budget, and within the proper scope that was agreed on. That's the the main role of this and you tend to see this a lot where there's a big big budget at play a relatively big budget at play and you're responsible for making sure that you're you're prudently using those resources to advance a project towards the goal that was identified or the program level goal all right and we'll finish off with knowledge translation and communication these are a little bit more technical in their application, being that, again, you could look at it as a supportive role in public health, but this expertise is critically important. What are some of those roles in this bucket? So some of the roles include knowledge exchange specialists, knowledge mobilization officers or coordinator, knowledge brokers, patient safety knowledge brokers, knowledge translation facilitator, communications coordinator or strategist, when I think about all these different roles, one things that one of the things that come to my mind is understanding your audience. Mm. Why is that important in these roles, Gordon? Because there are different audiences. Number number one, and then number two, different audiences need different messages for a variety of reasons. One. It could be a level of literacy or understanding. And then two, what resonates with one might not resonate with the other. So this really gets in at the traditional approach from a mass communication perspective is not sufficient. And 
having a targeted approach to messaging and having not only the communication and target audience piece, LaShawn, but what does everything mean? So we publish things in journals and they're there and it's p-value this and statistical Hmm. significance and that. What does that even mean? So in this role, you're responsible for analyzing evidence breaking it down to its simplest form and then communicating it effectively to different populations who might need that information. And of course there are traditional ways of communicating that. And then there's more modern ways of communicating that like through digital marketing, for example. And I know LaShawn, you are certified in digital marketing. Can you talk about the intersection of that and public health communication? Yeah. I mean, to underscore Gordon's point, plain language. Mm. Being able to produce that message in a very concise, effective, and digestible way. Understanding that you can talk passively or you could talk actively. Understanding that you can give people information, but are they going to use it? How do you make it most presentable and in the most usable form for them? Okay. Mm. Now, that digital marketing piece is important because we spend such a large proportion of our time on our digital devices, whether it's computers, laptops, or phones. Knowing that, big corporations such as Coca-Cola, they're doing their thing to promote their products. Some may be harmful in terms of sugar intake or you know different, different things that might affect your health. However, us as public health professionals can also use the strategies in digital marketing, for example, to get our messages to the forefront of people's screens, devices, laptops, so that they can take advantage of that information to make a healthy decision for themselves. So how can you do that? Well, understanding how ads are placed throughout the internet, understanding the different social media platforms and what type of messaging works well on each respective platform. But yeah, in a nutshell, understanding digital marketing principles can have a lot of benefits in terms of targeting specific populations. As Healthy public digital population. environments. Healthy digital environments, yes. Mm. How do we combat that misinformation? Can't beat them, join them, right? <laughs> Not quite. Are you, telling, are you telling people we're going to spread misinformation? No, I'm just saying if we're always behind the curve with Coca-Cola and Pepsi, why not master digital marketing too and put positive messaging on there? Why not? There it is. Use their tricks and tips. Public health is a very Mm. diverse field and we can learn from a lot of different people outside of our domains. Mm. And with that, this was Gordon, LaShawn, talking about some more job titles you could consider in public health building off our previous episode until next time cheers peace peace thank you for listening to the public health insight podcast your go-to space for informative conversations inspiring community action if you enjoy our podcast be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on apple podcasts or spotify see you in the next one